So good morning once again. Morning, thank you. Uh, who was that? Was that one morning there? Let's try that again. Good morning. Uh, hope you're ready for this. Uh, we are coming uh, closer to the end of a, I, th- I believe it's been eight weeks already that we've been in this series um, and entitled Locally Grown, the Fruit of the Spirit, looking at cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Uh, today I am going to be preaching and speaking on the second last facet of the fruit of the Spirit, which is gentleness. And uh, yeah, I really, I really feel like uh, in this week the Lord has given me something that's maybe from a different angle in terms of this uh, facet of the Christian life. And so uh, we're going to jump into Galatians 5. Uh, I'm going to be reading from verses 16 to 24, just to give us a bit of a bigger picture again of this life in the Spirit, uh, as Paul is talking about it here in the book of Galatians. Uh, As you are turning there in your Bibles and in your app, just uh, again to re-emphasize and to recap what the letter to the Galatian church was all about. Um, As a whole, like the church in Galatia exploded. Like Galatia was modern-day Turkey, if I'm I'm correct. Um, So people were coming to faith in Jesus. There were Jews that were there that were coming to faith in Jesus. There were Gentiles, in other words, unbelievers, people that were not Jewish, coming to faith in Jesus. So they heard the gospel that it was not about their good works, but it was about believing in what Jesus had done for them in dying on the cross for their sins. And then, of course, the the great news that he rose from the dead after he was in the grave for three days. But what happened there, of course, then is um, false teachers came into the church, Judaizers, uh, Jews that were traveling up from Jerusalem. And they came in and they saw all of these Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus. And they said, hold on, this is great. Jesus is the way, but you need to add more things to your faith in order to really be a Christian. Uh, You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the whole law of Moses. You need to keep all of the festivals. You need to make sure that you keep the Sabbath, everything uh, to the T. That really is what you need to do for saving faith. And so Paul is writing to this church, and he's, it's a very harsh letter, actually, because he, he doesn't have a lot of kind things to say to them, because he's like, listen, who is it that stole uh, or came in and bewitched you? He uses the word bewitched. So it's a, it's a demonic influence, okay? And he says, uh, you were doing so well. You, you were running this uh, race in faith. Uh, how come you think you can complete the race uh, that started by faith and being empowered by the Spirit? How do you think you can complete it by doing good works and think that that is good for, for God, uh, for your salvation and your sanctification? And then he throws in, in Galatians 5, this, then, what it's all about. It's about life in the Spirit. And he calls them back to this. Now, I'm going to read to us from verse 16 then. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other 
to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, it's not about doing all of the things that are the right things according to the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's the word of the Lord. Let's just uh, pray before we get started. Yeah, Father, we just thank you uh, for your presence here this morning through your spirit. Uh, And thank you, Lord, that we can ask for your help. I come and ask for your help this morning in uh, preaching your word. Father, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be in line with, with you. And yeah, and we just, we just bless your name. Come and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, sermon title this morning, very provocative. Before you stone me and think Rudy is going to preach heresy, the sermon title is Stop Trying to Be a Christian. And there's total silence. That's great. This is a good start. Okay, we can talk about it afterwards. Um, If I were to ask you, you know, what is your first thought that comes into your mind when you wake up in the mornings? Uh, you know, what would it be if, if you're like me and you're in this phase where you have little toddlers and babies and all of that, um, my first thought and John's first thought is, okay, Rudy needs to make an espresso shot and we need to make a latte, a cappuccino, we need coffee. And as soon as I've had that first coffee, I'm like, I need that second coffee very quickly again. Um, but it's always in line with, oh man, I'm so tired. Uh, It's seldomly, now and then we do get it that we wake up and and we're like, did you get up for the kids? No, 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 did you get up for the kids? And we're like overjoyed, like the kids actually slipped through. But it's it's not the phase of of our lives at this moment, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, But my... My way of thinking when I wake up is it's, it's very focused on my needs at that moment. I'm in, um, in need of something to give me a kickstart. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Glenn asked the question, you know, what, what is it that you think about God? What comes to mind when you think about God? I'm asking this morning, well, uh, what are your first thoughts about yourself and what you need at the start of the day? And how is that connected to God? Like, do we wake up being like, uh, oh man, Lord, I need you. I I need you to do something big in me today. And specifically when it comes to gentleness. Is that something that, you know, we think of at the start of our day as being like, hey, my goal for today is to be as gentle, as meek, as humble as possible. 
uh, I'm going to be honest, it's, it's not really there on my radar because I'm already thinking about what time it is. It's 5.30, Daniel is up. He is very stubborn. He wants to go upstairs. He wants to play. I'm tired. And then when I start making the coffee and the tea for him and Miriam, like they are very involved. It needs to happen according to what they want to do. I've got two little baristas at home. And so it's very frustrating to get that first coffee. It can almost take 30 minutes. Okay. And so gentleness and patience is just not there at that point. But I really, you know, really need to dig deep. But that's kind of like what the start of my day looks like because I've got a goal in mind of like how, how I'm going to have to get them out the door for, for school by 8.30. Because I know, okay, my wife is a doctor. She needs to go to the theater. She needs to go do anesthesia or she, there's a baby that's been born. Um, I've got a goal in mind. I need to get them ready. And so there's a lot of like, ah, this going on every morning between me and the kids. Getting lunch prepared, getting them to eat breakfast, etc., etc. So I would say... It's only after I've dropped them off that I'm like, oh, okay, Lord, let's spend some time together. Okay? Then I'm like, I can now maybe listen to what Jesus has to say, if, you know, if I'm uh, honest. Um, and I was thinking along those lines this week, and I'm like, okay, um, in the world out there, in, let's say, looking for jobs, like lately I've been, you know, looking at job postings and, and what are people after, you know, I was like, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit or gentleness, like is that something that is looked for in employees? Would you find that in job postings? <laughs> and uh, I did a, a Google search, of course, and you know what? The stuff that came up is like, okay, we're looking for employees that are ambitious, great communication, confidence, critical thinking, dependability, determination, eagerness to learn, flexibility, honesty, loyalty. Those are some of the, the major things that are up there that, Employers are looking for as desirable qualities. And I was thinking about it. Okay, so why, why not the fruit of the Spirit? Well, I think, of course, in the world, as Glenn had also mentioned at the start of this uh, series, there's, of course, counterfeits to the fruit of the Spirit or these facets of the Spirit, uh, these fruit. And, you know, the... the oopsie. That's my phone talking back to me. Goodness. <laughs> That's weird. You know, these naughty things, they listen, they, they listen to what we're saying. <laughs> okay. No, not today, Satan. Get behind me, okay? Um, so, but you, you won't find gentleness in there. But if you were to ask to uh, uh, or speak to employers, I'm pretty sure they would be like, yeah, of course, we want our employees to be loving and kind and good and faithful and and self-controlled, you know, no one wants an employee who cannot exercise self-control. But still gentleness, it feels like that is very specific. It's something that an employer would look for if it's, if it's a, a specific industry or frail care or something, that gentleness is what is needed. But I think the reason uh, for me is because, like, that's not really uh, what we aspire to or think about when we're looking for employees, but also leadership. We're looking, we've, we're looking for strong people. Strong in certain areas. Strength finder, right? Like, what are your strengths? Um, and gentleness sounds weak. Especially if you uh, use the word meek. Because if you go and have a look at the, the meaning of gentleness and the Greek word here, it means meekness. And it means humility. And so, 
I would say that I, I think in the world, that word meekness or meek sounds weak. Which is why we do not see that as something that is aspired to in our world. Now, as we have mentioned before, if we look at the fruit of the Spirit, those are, of course, contrary to uh, what we see the world is aspiring to and what the world wants to uh, encourage us to live forth. Because those fruit are, of course, in essence, who God is. God is love. God is joy. God is peace. He is patience. He is kindness. He is goodness, faithfulness. He is gentleness. He is gentle. That is his nature. And he is, he is self-control. And the question that I was asking is, you know, okay, so why, why is Paul, how does, he, how does he come up with these fruit of the Spirit? And the reason for that is, well, if you go look at Scripture and who God has always said from the beginning of time, who he is, who we, who we will forever be, that is who he is. Now, I, I use the word meek, and that's supposed to ring a little bell for you if you will remember that, that Jesus spoke about meekness and being meek in Matthew 5, verse 5. I'm going to put up there the New American Standard uh, Bible version, the NASB, which says, Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. The ESV says, Blessed be the meek, for you shall inherit the earth. Uh, I'm back to reading the Bible in my native language in Afrikaans, and I found it interesting this week. In Afrikaans, the literal translation for meek or gentle is uh, soft-hearted or kind-hearted. And it, and it says the kind-hearted or the soft-hearted will inherit the new earth. In other words, you will inherit what God has predestined for us from the beginning of the creation, this new earth, a new creation that is uh, on its way. And so I want to first off start with that to say that this is, this is the intention of Jesus to point us towards who he is, who God is. So in other words, it's about who he is and what he has done that's going to enable us to inherit the new earth. Because no one is by own name, their own nature meek or gentle or humble. The, the major... Uh, Reference, of course, for us looking at this attribute of God is, of course, out of his word. And there was an understanding then out of the Old Testament that this is also who God is. He is gentle. In, in Psalm 18, verse 35, we see this. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. So the psalmist Understanding that it is God's gentleness, his humility, his meekness. It sounds counterintuitive, but it is that of God that is actually lifting him up, making him feel safe, making him great. Another Old Testament scripture is out of Isaiah 40 verses 10 to 11, where there is a prophetic promise of what God was planning to do. It says there, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. It's a very strong picture of God. But then it goes in to say, And he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. 
and gently lead those that are with young. That is the picture that we see of God. He is gentle. He is kind. He is good. He is going to come like a shepherd. Now, the ultimate fulfillment then, of course, of this promise of the shepherd coming who is gentle is then, of course, Jesus Christ. And the main text that I'm going to look at today for gentleness is out of Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. So if you want to turn there or just follow, you can do that. Jesus said this, and I love this because it's, it's uh, you know, Nick and I weren't talking beforehand about which scriptures specifically, like what I was going to preach from. But this connects very much for me with that scripture that you were reading where that God gives that invitation out of, it's out of Isaiah, is it 55? Come to me, come and drink. Jesus says in Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For... I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the, the fruit or the facet of gentleness is there for us as a result of who Jesus is, who he says he is. He is basically saying he is that gentle shepherd of Isaiah 40, verses 10 to 11. When he's using this language, those people that were listening, the Pharisees, those that knew the Old Testament scriptures, they would have listened to that, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden. That would have triggered then within them that invitation out of Isaiah 55, come to me, those who are thirsty. And on other occasions, Jesus also used those same words. But this time around, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. He is once again making this claim and saying that he is the only source of life. He is the great I am. That is who he is. But the question is, what is, what is Jesus talking about here when he is talking about those who labor and are heavy laden? I used to read that and think, is this a prosperity gospel message? Is Jesus saying, listen, those of you that are working so hard for success and money in your life, come to me and I will bless you abundantly with all the finances, everything that you need. It's going to be easy, easy money. Just yoke with me. Make sure that you tithe as much as possible, even tithe 90%, and you will see I'm just going to bless you outrightly. Because you hear some of those stories where people have got this idea and they do that, and they believe it's God's blessing them, and, and I believe that's so. But I believe there's more going on here. You see, Jesus was, of course, talking to, into the context and speaking into the context of the Greco-Roman culture. And with that backdrop of Greek mythology as well as Roman mythology and their gods, and then also the Jewish understanding of who God was. And so he was talking right into and speaking into the concept of religion. How do people understand the supernatural? How do people believe 
the various deities, the gods, how does that function? How, how does that world operate? And I was thinking about it this week, and I'm like, oh man, this is a lot of research. Hey, but thank God for technology. How many of you have heard of chat GBT? <laughs> That's the latest thing, the latest AI. And I asked chat GBT, you know, this omnipresent thing that is trying to be the counterfeit Holy Spirit, okay? I just kind of play that out there, that the internet and all these things are just trying to be a counterfeit God. But anyways, it, the, the, that little God thing uh, was helpful for me in this stage because I asked it. <laughs> okay, I asked it, listen, compare for me a Jesus' claim to be gentle and humble with ancient Middle Eastern religions, Roman and Greek mythology, Egyptian theology, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever ism you're thinking about. Give me an answer, Chad GBT. And wow. The thing just went to work. Okay? I'm not going to give you all the answers it gave me. Listen to the conclusion that this thing said. And I really found it interesting. The pronoun it used. It used we. Okay? We find that Jesus Christ's claim to be gentle and humble in Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30 distinguishes him from many other deities and figures. While some parallels can be drawn with certain teachings from Buddhism, Sikhism, and to some extent Islam, Jesus' message and persona place a distinct emphasis on these qualities. In other words, and even if you go individually and you study all of the other faiths, worldviews, religions, there is just no other comparison. There's no other religious leader, founder, a person who claimed to be God, who came in such a way to say, I'm gentle and lowly in heart and meek. Let alone be so gentle, so kind, so meek to be led to a cross, crucified for the sins of the world. There's no comparison. We sang it this morning. There's no one like you. King of kings, Lord of lords. But you might say, but Rudy, so what? This does not prove that Jesus is God. It's true. Just because Jesus said he is gentle and lowly in heart and he makes this invitation does not prove anything. So what is the invitation? Why is this important? Why does this matter? Well, it only matters if Jesus is who he said he is. It only matters if Jesus really and truly rose from the dead. If you're sitting here and you're skeptical about Jesus' existence, I've got to tell you, you've got to wake up. There is, there is no real um, scholar on any spectrum that denies the the life of Jesus Christ, that he lived and that he died by a cruel crucifixion. There's no, nowhere is there anyone who can deny that. Even the most staunchest, staunchest atheists like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, like they, they can't deny that, okay? The big issue is whether Jesus rose from the dead and whether he appeared to his disciples and to many others. And that that truly happened. Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if that did not happen, our faith is futile. So this invitation only matters and makes sense if that is true. 
And I want to say that this invitation also, and understanding the burdens and the heavy, uh, the heaviness that D- Jesus was talking about here, gives us that full picture of why I believe it is true. Because what Jesus is talking about here, in my opinion, is the end of religion. It's Jesus saying, stop trying to be a good Christian. You see, if you, if you read Matthew 23, verses 1 to 4, it says that Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but do not, but do, not do the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. Listen to this thing. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. The point is this. I'm going to throw a picture up there. When Jesus is saying to the people, and he speaks and he says, listen, come to me. Those who are laboring, I'm not sure, Lydia, if you have that picture of, okay. He says, those of you that are laboring and heavy laden, come to me, my yoke, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He is, of course, talking about what is quite known then in that culture. Is like, okay, if you want to cultivate the land, you need oxen. They need to be yoked together so that you can plow land in order to sow seed and then grow that so that you can get a harvest. You can take that picture off. But you see, what was happening is the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were coming and saying and putting yokes on people and saying, listen, yeah, in order to be really accepted by God, keep the law, be a good person to the best of your ability, putting that yoke upon people that they're not able to carry. And Jesus is speaking into that and says, listen, stop practicing your religion, trying to focus on producing fruit without being rooted in the source. Come to me, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Why this matters is, if Jesus is who he says he is, then what he is actually saying is, and before you pick up stones, wait until the end. But Jesus is saying, you don't have to come to church to be a Christian. You don't have to read your Bible to be a Christian. You don't have to go to small group to be a Christian. You don't have to share your faith to be a Christian. You don't have to love others to be a Christian. But what he says is an invitation that when you come and you yoke with him, guess what? You will want to read the Bible. You will want to be with God's people. 
You will want to be in a community group. You will want to love others. You will want to share your faith. It's a shift from having to do to receiving for what He has done for you in order that you want, like your desires are changed. Jesus' invitation is stop laboring, trying to be this good Christian, but come to me. Come sit at my feet. Man, how I struggle with that. How we struggle to do that. We focus on producing all of these fruit instead of focusing on the source of the fruit, the Spirit. If you go back to Galatians, like the emphasis is these are the fruit of the Spirit, but it is walk in the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and then your life will prove evidence. Like don't, don't run around trying to be faithful and gentle and all of those things. It could be good. You're going to do it, but you, it's going to last only that long. If you are not getting your nutrition from the source of life through the Word of God and by His Spirit that has made you new, you're going to become tired and weary. And Jesus' words and invitation is going to be there for you every day. Come to me. Stop trying to be a Christian. I want to conclude with this. Today, in my opinion, is actually like it, it's not as, as though it's more important than any other Christian tradition or festival. But today is Pentecost. Today is the day that we celebrate the fact that God's promise to His people that He will come and be with us, never leave us nor forsake us, actually came to fruition. Yes, Jesus came in the flesh, He lived, He died on the cross, He rose from the dead, but that's not where the story ended, right? Jesus could have told His disciples, right, I've now risen, now go. Go bear fruit, go tell people who I am, you owe it to me. And I want to speak against a lie in the Christian church. We believe a lie that we owe God something. You owe God nothing except for thankfulness. We owe God thankfulness. That is what the psalmist writes. Like I, I, You would not delight in offerings or sacrifices, but bring to God the sacrifice that he desires. Just thankfulness. Jesus, thank you. Because there is a... There's a, uh, for example, a, a very famous church movement that has a slogan, we owe the world an encounter with Jesus. You know what that places upon you? Oh, a heavy burden. It's my fault. It's my job. And I, you know what, Rudy, I take that yoke upon me so many times and it's not of God. I look around my neighborhood and I see people struggling, and immediately I feel like I'm not, I, I'm not praying enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not sharing my faith enough. And it's false. Jesus' invitation is no, come to me. Because here's, here's what happens when we come to Jesus. If we wait, he, he told his disciples what after he rose from the dead? Go and wait. For what? Power. The Holy Spirit, 
Listen, this is the fulfillment of what it really looks like to yoke with Jesus. We get that picture, oh, Jesus, let's, you know, it's like rugby, crowds bind, oh, get into a scrum, yoke, oh, we're going to power through everything. No, this is what it looked like. When Jesus yoked with those who waited for him, in Acts 2, verse 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. This is now 120 believers, disciples of Jesus. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit, God's power, but not a force, the person of the Holy Spirit came and yoked with God's people. And the outcome was that the people were declaring the glories of God to people around them that were practicing the faith still in the old way, trying to attain God's favor through their works. And then Peter preaches the gospel message. And the people's response is, what shall we do? And Peter says, believe, repent of your sins, be baptized. Last picture I want to share with you what this yoking looks like or looked like for them. Look at that. Okay, it doesn't, didn't come out that great. <laughs> but they were all together praying. So you can put that back up there. And the Holy Spirit came with tongues of fire. Fire, of course, representing the presence of God. Very much so with them. And what was the end result? The last slide there, Lydia. This is what happened then when they yoked with God. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's the fruit of yoking with Jesus through his spirit. Stop trying to be a Christian. But come to Jesus wait for him and drink from the fountain of life, the Holy Spirit that resides in you when you put your faith in him. Bringing this back to gentleness, that's how gentle God is, like that he would send his spirit, not just Jesus himself, but his spirit to then, after that, for 2,000 years, empower his believers, his church, his people to still live out the gospel truth, not because of a have to, but because it, it's a want to. It's a desire that has changed. So I just feel this morning, I want to pray for those of us that are maybe stuck in a place of, oh man, I, I just, I'm trying so hard. But you're not seeing the fruit. You're not seeing transformation happening. And I just want to invite you. The scripture tells us we need to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. We're commanded. Be filled. It's a daily process of asking God, come and let me overflow by your spirit. So let us pray. 
and then we'll head into communion. Father, we thank you for the fulfillment of uh, yoking with you the promise that Jesus gave and the invitation he gave to yoke with, with you. And that that was fulfilled 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, when your spirit came and empowered your people. And Lord, there was an explosion. 3,000 people came to faith, a mega church in a day. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can come and ask, come and fill us, help us to not be heavy, burdened, and laden with yokes that are not from you, but help us to yoke with your spirit, to walk with the spirit and to live by the spirit. I pray for each and every one this morning who's maybe heavy burdened and laden down by trying to do good things. And I pray, Holy Spirit, come, come and do the work. Come and convict our hearts. Help us to lay down our lives. I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.